wow, I love that video. And I loved our worship time together. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for tuning in. The two words, happiness and joy, are two different kinds of words. The word happiness is actually a feeling that we have, an emotion that we experience when pretty much everything is going our way. But the word joy means a confident assurance. It is stronger than emotion. It is a confident assurance. In the midst of a storm, in the midst of problems, in the midst of even heartache, that says everything is okay because of Jesus. It is a determined choice, even in the midst of hard times, to thank God, to trust God, to praise God, to love God, because you know that God is in control and that God loves you. That is the power of joy. There was a little boy that was talking to his dad, and he asked his dad, Daddy, are you afraid of spiders? And his dad said, no. Well, are you afraid of thunder? Are you afraid of ghosts? Are you afraid of robbers? And every time, his dad said, no. And the little boy thought for a few seconds, and then he said, well, does that mean that mommy is the only one that you're afraid of? Little kids are so perceptive. Do you remember what the three words, the three first words that the angels said after the resurrection of Jesus? Don't be afraid. Do you remember what the three first words that Jesus said to the first person he encountered after the resurrection? Don't be afraid. Do you remember the first three words Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room after the resurrection? Don't be afraid. Fear is the greatest enemy of joy. But Easter's message to us is we don't have to be afraid because there is a God in heaven and he is on his throne. And Jesus Christ is alive and alive forevermore. Do I hear an amen? Well, actually, I couldn't hear an amen, so I'm going to amen. Amen, preacher, that is true. We live today across America with the same message and across the world, the message of fear and impending doom. But the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, convinces us that our hope in Jesus is not a hope so, it is a no so. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates the truth that God is alive and in control. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. In Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 19 and 20, it says this, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. That power is the same divine energy that was demonstrated in Christ when he was raised from the dead. So what is this about? Well, the first thing that it's saying is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration of all time of the power of God. A few summers ago, Kathy and I took our two youngest grandchildren, Jude and Emily, to the Sequoia National Park. 
It is in central California. It is right outside of Fresno. And we stayed for almost a week inside the park and in that mountain range in a cabin. And we planned two adventures every single day. We went kayaking and we went swimming and we went and looked at the, the sequoia trees, which are the biggest, most massive trees in the entire world. But the adventure that all of us decided at the end of the week was the most fun adventure was the Jeep caravan that we went on. There were three or four Jeeps in the caravan, and I was driving one of those Jeeps, and they were open side Jeeps. And we went through the fields and down into the creeks and back up the other side and on paved roads and dirt roads. And when we were on dirt roads, we had to wear a bandana just so that we could breathe. There was so much dirt and dust. But what a fun time. And in that caravan, we went up to the highest peak, all the way to the top of the highest peak of that entire mountain range. It was called Buck Rock. And when we got out of the Jeeps, we then walked up 172 stairs, stair steps, all the way to the top of the Ranger Lookout. It was amazing. We were so high. And as far as we could look, to the north and south and east and west, as far as we could look, we just saw the tops of all these massive mountains everywhere. And I thought what power it took to raise all of those high, massive mountains. And our God made it all. Our sun is a star in the Milky Way galaxy. And in the Milky Way galaxy, there are over 100 billion stars and our God made it all. In this universe, there are over a billion galaxies, and each of the galaxies have over uh, one, two billion stars and more, and our God made them all. But the greatest demonstration of the power of God was not mountains, and it was not stars or galaxies. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because all of nature fought against it. All of the enemies of God fought against it to keep him in the grave, but they could not do it. God robbed the grave, and Jesus rose again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ destroyed death and sin and hell. It changed our destiny. It changed the destiny of this universe. And it is the bedrock of Christianity. What I mean by that is, if it were ever proven that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all of Christianity would be gone in a puff. This is what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14 when he said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all of our preaching is useless and all of your faith is useless. So for the last 2,000 years, the enemies of God have fought against this whole idea of the resurrection and they've tried to come up with every excuse and every argument to somehow call it a hoax. But in the process of doing it, they actually made that the evidence of the resurrection of Christ stronger. The truth is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a matter of faith. It is an historic record. If you read the book of Gary Habermas, 
entitled The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. You'll never doubt the resurrection again. You'll never wonder whether he came out of that grave again because he demonstrates not just by Scripture and by faith, he demonstrates by historical record the evidence of the resurrection. And so why is this so important? Because it means that everything Jesus said about God, everything Jesus said about himself, everything Jesus said about us, and about how we can be saved is absolutely true. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the greatest evidence of the love of God. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the greatest evidence of the power of God. And that is what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9 when he says, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. That word that he uses, believe, does not mean, of course, of course I believe in God, of course I believe in the resurrection. It doesn't mean that. That word means a belief that is so strong that it turns your heart to him fully, that you are totally committed to him, that you have made the decision that God is not an option, he is the only option. And God says to us that everyone who makes the decision, I am committing my heart and life to Jesus Christ. God, I'm going to live for you, and you are the primary of my life. You are the core of my life. God says, you have no idea. The power I will turn towards you who believe in me that much. The same power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead is available to us to meet our greatest needs of our life. So what in the world does that mean? To meet the greatest needs in our life, what does it mean? Well, the resurrection first proves that God gives us the power to live with confidence and not fear. Can you imagine how full of fear the disciples were after the crucifixion of Jesus? They'd just seen how he had been so horribly tortured and how he was so abused. And they knew that he had finally died on the cross. And they were so afraid that these authorities would come after them, that the same people that put him to death would put them to death. And they were scared to death. They were so afraid. Every footstep outside of of their house, they worried, are they coming to get us? But then... Jesus appeared to them. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, Jesus came and stood among them, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus did not just appear to them for four minutes and poof, he was gone, or four hours, or four days, but for 40 days. For 40 days, day after day after day after day after day, Jesus was with the disciples. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus went back through all the things he had taught them, and he went back over them and explained to them what this whole crucifixion and resurrection was about. And finally their eyes were open, and finally their understanding was open. And then at the end of the 40 days, Jesus ascended back to heaven. But 10 days later... The Holy Spirit came down in power and filled them. And these men were so powerful. They were so strong. They were so confident. The fear was all gone. And they stood in front of the same authorities they had been afraid of. 
And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John and could see that they were ordinary men, they were amazed and realized what being with Jesus had done for them. I think it's one of the greatest statements in the Bible. They were amazed and realized what being with Jesus had done for them. Do you realize that Jesus has said to you, I'm never going to leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, and even to the end of your life here on earth. Now, he never said to us, and by the way, I'll never let you have problems. And by the way, you'll never have difficulties. You'll never have things that you struggle with, and you'll never die physically. He never said that. In fact, he said the opposite. You are going to have trouble. You're going to have challenges and difficulties that you have to trust me about. And one day your body will die, but you will not die. Because when your body dies, I will reach down and I will bring you into my presence. All you, who you are, your personality, and all your memory, and all of those people that you know, and he will bring you to heaven in the presence of God, in the most wonderful paradise. He is saying to you, you don't have to live with fear anymore. You can live with confidence because I am with you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26, reverence for the Lord gives confidence and security to a man and his family. I really wish you would hear that. Men, I want you to really listen to the verse. He says, when you reverence God, when you honor the Lord, when you trust in God, it gives you a sense of confidence and security. And not just you, but your whole family. Your family is looking to you. And God is saying, if you'll just turn to me, and you'll just watch me, and if you will reverence me, I will give you confidence, I will give you security, and your family not just you. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 says, no weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. The same power that enabled Jesus to rise from the dead will help you rise from your problems. The very same power that God used at the resurrection can be used by your life even today. And that is what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I am ready for anything through the strength of Christ who gives, who lives in me. I'm ready for anything, no matter what happens, because there is a power, a confidence that God has given to me. What he tells us is this power God gives to us is a confidence instead of fear. But there's a second thing. The resurrection proves that our past can be forgiven. In first century in the Roman Empire, when someone had committed crimes and had been caught and put in prison, they would take a piece of parchment and they would write out every one of the crimes the person had committed. And they nailed that parchment to the outside door of their prison cell. And after that person's time was over, and they had paid for their crimes, and they set this person free, they would take that parchment 
off, and they would write across the crimes, Tetelestai. Tetelestai is the Greek word that means paid in full. And they wrap up the parchment and they hand it to, the, to that person. And now, no matter who accuses you, you can demonstrate that you have paid for your crimes. The last words that Jesus spoke on the cross, just before he took his last breath, was, it is finished. And in our English language, we could imagine that what Jesus was really saying is, okay, this ordeal that I have been through is finally finished. But that is not what Jesus was saying. Jesus only actually said one Greek word, tetelestai, paid in full. He knew why he was on the cross. Your sins and my sins listed out by our Father, nailed on that cross. Jesus knew why he was on the cross. And just before he died, he knew he had done it. I have paid the penalty for the crimes of the world for all of those who will trust in Christ alone for salvation. I have paid for their crimes. You are paid in full. And that is exactly what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 is saying when he says, he has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. He is using that very analogy of the parchment and our sins on the parchment and nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that you could quit nailing yourself to the cross. So that you could finally come to a place of forgiving yourself. Your sins have been paid for. The slate has been wiped clean. You've been forgiven, not just of sins of the past, but sins that are coming. You have been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. And even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you as white as wool. And notice what God says in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19. Watch. The new thing I'm going to do with your life. The power of the resurrection is the power that says to you and I, we can live with confidence and not fear. And we can live forgiven because Christ has paid for our forgiveness. And there is a third and last thing, and that is simply this. The resurrection proves that our life has purpose. You are not an evolutionary accident. God planned you. God purposed you. God made you for a reason. He looked down through time and he saw you and he loved you. 
And he has a reason and a purpose and a plan for your life. This is what he is saying in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus to live life as we were meant to live. I, have you ever thought of yourself as a work of art? I, I don't want you to think of yourself as a work of art as, it, as maybe a painting, but rather a sculpture. And God is making out of your life this beautiful sculpture. And he has to chip away and he has to sand away. And sometimes it's difficult, it's hurtful, sometimes it's, it's a struggle. But as he is chipping away and he is, he is sanding away and he is forming and fashioning you, he is making you into a beautiful piece of art. We talk a lot at Easter time about believing in God, but Easter also means that God believes in you. That God knows you and He loves you. And He has purposed for you to become a member of His family. And He is calling you and urging you, would you give your heart to Him? Part of our purpose has to do with having a relationship with God. And it begins with receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. But that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What Paul is saying is, don't waste your life. You've only got one shot at this. Don't waste your life. Make your life be the best it can be. And how do you come to that place? You make the decision that I am going to let my life make him known. I am committing my heart to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live every day of my life making Christ known. And then one day, every one of us one day will stand before holy God, and what will determine our forever is if our name is written in the book of life. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. So how does a person get their name written in the book of life? Well, it's not because of our good deeds. It's not because of all the good things we do and all the, the things we try to do better and better and, and trying our best to at least have more good things than bad. You and I can never earn our way to heaven, and that is why Jesus came. That is why he died and rose again from the grave, to be our Savior, our Rescuer. The Bible says that we must trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope for salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you have this life? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, you can. This morning, the Bible is saying to you and I, if you will come to the place of being willing to admit to God, God, I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. And oh God, I cannot save myself. And I come to recognize that. Oh God, would you forgive me 
of my sin. And then, by faith, commit your heart to Jesus Christ. And God, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus to the point that I give you my heart and my life. The Bible says if we do that, he'll save us right then and there. And so I want to invite you to make that very decision this morning. Would you do it? Would you pray with me? Bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to invite you to pray this prayer after me. Would you do it? Dear God, I know I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. And right now, I ask you, would you forgive me of my sin? I believe that Jesus rose again from the grave and I commit my heart by faith to Jesus Christ. Would you save me right now? Father, I thank you for many people that have now prayed this prayer with me. And it's not magic words. It is what we really feel inside, what is true in our heart. And oh God, I pray you would move today in touching the hearts of so many that have prayed this prayer. Thank you for saving them right now. Bless them and help them to grow in their walk with you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now look, if you've prayed that prayer inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you, would you do us a favor? Would you call our church office? 281-242-2858. Would you call our church office? Let us know that you have prayed that prayer to accept Jesus Christ as Savior so we can pray for you and we can send you some materials that can help you as you continue to grow in your Christian life. Now I want to pray for all of us. Father, we come together today. We thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the difference that you have made in our life. We thank you for the demonstration of the power of God and how the resurrection has changed our destiny. And, oh, God, today we say to you, God, we want to be those people that believe to the point that you aren't just an option, you are only the only option, that you are the only choice of our heart, and that we fully commit our life to you. We pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts today to honor you this Easter Sunday and to live our life in glory and praise to you. Oh, Father, fill us with joy, a determined choice, even in the midst of difficulty, to thank you and praise you and love you and trust you because we know that you are in control and that you love us. We love you, our Father. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our church has a purpose. And would you say that purpose with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. God bless you. Have an awesome Easter, and we'll see you back next Sunday.